Surprise! Restoration Church, happy 4th of July. I am so excited to be here with you today. In fact, when Pastor Jake and I were talking this past spring about maybe doing an online service on the 4th of July because people are going to be traveling and doing different things, I thought this would be a fun one for me to be able to record and share with you. So I am so excited to share this message with you. Our family, we are off on sabbatical, and we are so thankful uh, for the church to give us this opportunity this summer to really focus on us being with the Lord instead of doing with the Lord. So thank you, Restoration, for this opportunity. Please continue to pray for our family. We covet that and are so thankful for your prayers. Can you tell I enjoy the 4th of July? I know, it's a little bit crazy. I enjoy it. How do you celebrate the 4th of July? What do you do? You know, I read this past week that Americans, we spend $1 billion with a B, $1 billion on fireworks. So what does that look like for you? Are you one of those people that goes down to the county fairgrounds to watch the big show in Yakima? Maybe, maybe for you, you prefer going out to Moxie and lighting off your own fireworks where it's kind of like a war zone out there. My family, probably our favorite experience on the 4th of July is having the chance to go down to the Oregon coast. We'll go down to the Oregon coast. We get to build a little fire on the beach to keep warm. Uh, we give the kids the little sparklers that are like 35 cents, and they kind of, woohoo, this is fun. And then we sit back and we watch because up and, down the the, up and down the beach, there are people who are spending hundreds of dollars shooting off their fireworks, and we get to sit back and enjoy the show. It is a great way for us to celebrate the 4th. Maybe for you, maybe you're saying, well, fireworks aren't quite my thing. Well, how about this? Do you barbecue on the 4th of July? In fact, again, I read this week, Americans will eat 150 million hot dogs on the 4th of July. That's a lot of hot dogs. And if you don't eat the hot dogs, here's what I do on the 4th of July. I always go uh, and watch ESPN because on ESPN on every 4th of July, there is the nation's, Nathan's, famous hot dog eating contest. And I sit back and watch Joey Chestnut down 70 hot dogs, the meat and the bun in 10 minutes. I tell you, you watch this, it is so disgusting to watch, but I just can't stop watching kind of like the Kardashians. Listen, I don't know for you, but, but how is it that you enjoy celebrating the 4th of July? Today being the 4th of July and Independence Day, I thought this is probably a good day for us to have a conversation on, on what does it look like for us as Christians? What does patriotism look like for us as Christians? Are we to celebrate the 4th of July? Is that okay for us to do? Opportunity to say, how does, how does our faith impact our, our patriotism and our, our, our nationalism? How do we balance the kingdom of God and our citizenship in the country that God has placed us? So I thought one of the things we could do this morning is we could start with a definition of patriotism because there's, there's different ways for us to define patriotism. The first way to define patriotism, which is, I think, a way that I am all for, says that patriotism is a pride of place, a love of people, an affection for our country based on the values that our country strives for. I think we would say that God is all for this type of patriotism. The reality is, God has placed us in our city, in our state, in our community. God has placed us in our country. He's sovereign. He's put us in a place. I think it's okay for us to have an affection for that place, an affection for the people that God has put us around. But there's a second type of 
patriotism uh, that is a little bit more concerning. Uh, and it's maybe better referred to as nationalism. And this definition is this. It is an arrogant assumption that our country is better than others. It says that America, because we're rooted and founded on Christian principles, that we are a godly nation with better access and we are more blessed than other nations. The view, this view, this idea of nationalism is dangerous because often what happens is even as Christians, we put more confidence and hope in our country than we actually do in the Lord. So today, on the 4th of July, this is a good conversation for us to have. It, it, it is, is America truly a godly nation? Is there a such thing as a Christian nation? And as Christians, how do we balance the idea of our identity in God and our identity as Americans? This summer, we've been engaging through uh, the Psalms. And I hope going through these Psalms have been good for your soul. I've been personally continuing to study the Psalms while we've been on sabbatical. And they've been so encouraging to me and good for my soul. So I hope they've been good for you. This morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm 33. And Psalm 33 really is a psalm of hope. A reminder that God is sovereign, that God is on control, that God is in control, and that he is worthy of all glory and honor and, and praise. And so, in fact, this psalm, it starts out with a call for the people of God to praise and worship him. Here's what it says, verse 1. It says, shout to the Lord. Verse 2, give thanks to the Lord, make a melody. Verse 3, sing a new song. Again, we think about celebrations. We're celebrating today. And the psalmist would say, God is worthy of all celebration. God is worthy of all praise. The psalmist is saying, God is great. God is glorious. And we ought to lift our voices to him. We ought to, we ought to praise him. We ought to glorify him. We ought to make our lives a parade of the joy that we experience because we have a relationship with God, because we have him in our life. And then the psalmist is going to go through and he's going to give us a bunch of reasons uh, as to why we should praise God, why we should worship him, why we should sing a new song and lift our voices to him. First, he says we should praise God because he is faithful and trustworthy. That's what he says in verse 4. It says, the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. Isn't it so good for us to know? And to hear again and again and again that when God says something, that means he's going to do it. When God says, here's my word, it is faithful and true, and God is trustworthy. So when he says these great things in scripture, like I will never leave you nor forsake you, like I will love you, like I will provide for you, it's great to know that God is trustworthy and we can believe what he says. We ought to praise him for that. The second reason we can praise God in this psalm uh, is because he is full of love for us. That's what he says in verse 5. He says, uh, uh, He loves righteousness and justice, and the earth is full of his steadfast love. See, it's not only do we get to trust his word, but we also get to trust the fact that he loves us, and that his love encompasses every corner of the earth. So no matter what we face, no matter where we go, no matter what we're dealing with, God's love still covers us. And that is so good for us to be reminded of. We should praise him for that. Third reason the psalmist says we should praise and worship God is because God is all powerful. In fact, in verse six, he starts a recount of creation. He says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Verse seven, he gathers the water of the sea into a heap. 
Verse 9, he spoke and things came to be. He commanded and everything stood firm. See, we can rejoice and we can praise God because if God is powerful enough by a word to make creation happen, if God is is powerful enough just by a word to to make the, the world come to existence, if God is that powerful, then certainly God is powerful to deal with whatever I face in my life. If God can do that, then certainly God can be present and work in my marriage. Certainly God could figure out the situation I'm dealing at work. Certainly God could take care of my kids. It is so good for us to remind it that he is all-powerful. And not only is he all-powerful, the fourth reason the psalmist says that we can worship and praise God is because he is sovereign and in control of all things. Verse 10 Psalmist says, God brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. Verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever, and the plans of his heart goes out to all generations. Man, think about, think about the nations and the kings. Think about all the plans that we make as people. Uh, listen, this psalm is saying that nothing is outside of God's control. Nothing is outside of God's control, that he is active and working his plan out according to his will and not our own. And so even when we make plans and say, man, this is what I'm going to do, listen, God is still sovereign and in control of that. He'll frustrate those plans because he's going to cause his will to be done. And then there's a fifth reason why the psalmist says that we should praise God and we should worship him. And this is probably the key for today. That we should praise God because God blesses his people. God blesses his people, and we ought to praise him for that. And this is a key verse for us today. And I want us to grasp what this verse says. Verse 12, here's what it says. He says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Listen, this is a verse that oftentimes Americans and other people from other countries, we take this verse to say, hey, this is talking about us. This is talking about America. America is blessed because we are a nation whose God is the Lord. And all sorts of nations throughout all of history have taken the verse, this verse to apply to themselves. In fact, this verse was used by the, both the North and the South during the Civil War to say, hey, God is blessing us because he's our Lord. Great Britain has used this verse. All sorts of, of, of countries, Australia, Canada, have taken this verse to say, hey, this applies to us. And around this time of the year, we look at our country and say, America, well, of course, America is blessed by God. We're a Christian nation, right? We were founded by Christians, and we have Christian principles in our founding, right? Of course, of course, God has chosen America. Of course, God is going to bless us so that we can help the rest of the world figure out how to do things right. But here's here's the caution. Just because just because some of the founders of our country were Christians does not automatically mean that we are a Christian nation. In fact, if we look at the whole of Scripture, Psalms chapter 2 implies that there's no such thing as a Christian nation. Psalms 2 says, uh, Why do the nations rage, and why do the people plot in vain? The kings of earth takes, takes their stand, and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and against their anointed one. See, I think it's dangerous for us to read this verse 12 in our text today and imply, hey, look, this is America. That America is God's chosen uh, nation because we have chosen God as our Lord. Therefore, we are the blessed nation. 
the reason why it's, it's probably dangerous for us to assume ourselves in this verse is because that verse doesn't end there. That verse doesn't just say, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. That verse continues. And here's what the whole verse says. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he's chosen for his heritage. See, it's not just about a nation choosing God as their Lord. It is actually about God choosing a people. It is about God choosing a people. And so the question we have to ask is, well, well, who are the people that God has chosen? Does scripture inform us of that? Yes, it does. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, we understand that the, the chosen people of God were the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 7 says, You are a holy people. The Lord did not choose you to be his own possession, or the Lord did choose you to be his own possession. He did not choose you because you are more in number, because you're great, because you're wonderful. No, the Lord chose you because he loved you. The Lord chose the nation of Israel. He chose Abraham and all of his descendants. As Abraham believed God by faith, God said, I choose you and your descendants to be my chosen people. God chose them to bring about the promised Messiah, the Savior that we find in Jesus Christ. That's the Old Testament. The New Testament, things changed. No longer are the people of God defined by birth. They're not defined by the nation that they're born into. Now they are defined by faith. In the New Testament, the people of our day, the people of God, the people that God chooses, these are those who put their faith in him. These are Christians. We would say this is the church. God's chosen people are the Christians that make up the church. That is God's chosen people, the church. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 2 Speaking, uh, the, uh, the Apostle Peter says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are his special people so that we can proclaim the promises of him who called us out of darkness and into the light. In fact, I think about this. I think about when Jesus was on trial before Pilate, uh, the Roman emperor. Jesus was on trial for his life. And this is what he says. He says, My kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my servants would have come fighting. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not a nation. My kingdom is those who place their faith in me. My kingdom is the church, the Christians, the people of God. See, the nation of God, the nation of the chosen people whom God blesses, it's not a nation on the earth. It is the church. It is believers. It is Christians. It is us. We are the people of God. Whether we are in America, whether we are in Great Britain, whether we are in Canada, whether we are in Mexico, those who place their faith in him, they are the people of God. And like the Old Testament, God has chosen to work through his people to bring about the kingdom of God in our world, in our country, in our states, in our city. In fact, the rest of the psalm, the rest of the psalm, it goes to length to remind us of why we should put our hope not in a nation, but in God. Here's what he says, verse 16. A king is not saved by a great army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. The war horse is a false hope. His great might will not rescue. And what the psalmist is saying, listen, do not put your hope in a king. Do not put your hope in a leader. Don't, do not put your hope in an army. Don't put your hope in advancing technology. Don't put your hope in a nation. Where should we put our hope? Verse 18. 
The eye, of the, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, who hope in him and his steadfast love, that he may deliver them. Our soul waits on the Lord. He is our help. He is our shield. Verse 21, our heart is glad in him because we trust his holy name. See, what this means for us, what we need to hear is that there is no special nation. There is no Christian nation that God has special favor upon. God gives his special favor upon his people. God's blessing, God's blessing is a gift to his chosen people, the church, those of us who will put our faith in him. Therefore, the key for us is not to put our faith in our nation, but to put our faith in him, first and foremost in him. So that's the message of Psalm 33. The question then becomes, how does this inform us today? How does this inform us as Christians as we want to celebrate the 4th of July and our Independence Day and our patriotism? Again, I'll say, I believe we live in an incredible country. We've got incredible freedoms, and I am so thankful for the country we, we live in. We've got a country with an incredible history. There were some godly people involved in the founding of our country, and I am so thankful for that history. But we want to make sure that we are not idolizing our country. See, an idol, is simply a an idol is simply a lesser thing that we allow to become a greater thing. And what that, what that means for us today is let's not become arrogant and nationalist, where we take uh, precedence, we allow our country to take precedence over our allegiance to the Lord. Let's not think our nation is greater than any other nation. Let's not confuse. Let's not confuse the, king the kingdom of God with America. Let's not confuse America with heaven. Let's not think that America has any greater inroad to the presence and the blessings and the promises of God. No, as Christians, as people of faith, let's ensure that our primary allegiance, our primary citizenship is not in our country, but it's rooted in the gospel and the kingdom of God. Yet, even though I say that, the reality is as Christians, God has sent us as ambassadors he has sent us as ambassadors into the world, that we become his earthly representatives on the earth, which means that God has sent us into our cities and into our states and into our country as his ambassadors to represent God, to represent the kingdom of God. In fact, the Old Testament, uh, in the Old Testament, there's a prophet by the name of Jeremiah, and he told the nation of Israel, God's Old Testament chosen people. He told them while they were captive in a foreign country, he said to seek the welfare of the city, to pray for it. For when it thrives, you thrive as well. See, as Christians, where our citizenship belongs in the kingdom of God, and that is greater than all our other allegiances, while we're on the earth, we should still seek the welfare of our city. We should still seek the welfare of our country. And so what that means for us as the people of God, as people of peace, that means that we should love our neighbors as God has loved us. That means that we should seek to improve our situation, improve our country and our city. We should seek to improve uh, the social and the educational and the business and the political environment around us. We should be involved in our country. And I think that means, I think that means that today on the 4th of July, I think we are free to gather and to celebrate, to be patriotic, to light off fireworks and celebrate our country and the fact that this is where God has placed us. 
It means as a people of God that we ought to be in prayer for our country. We ought to be praying for our leaders. And let's be clear, we ought to be praying favorably for our leaders on both sides of the aisle. I know some of us, we say, well, I pray for my leaders. I pray that God will sick them. Listen, that's not what we're called to do. We're called to pray for good. We ought to be praying for good. We ought to be praying for our country. We ought to be praying for the poor and the broken and the hurting. We ought to pray that justice prevails. And most importantly, we ought to pray as the people of God that God would give us opportunities to reveal our true citizenship, to invite people into the kingdom of God. So here we are today on the 4th of July. And I think it is good for us to be patriotic. I think we have every right as a Christian to celebrate our country. We're going to do that today. I hope you're going to do that as well. But it also ought to also challenge us to consider within our hearts where is our hope? Where is our primary allegiance? Because the psalmist just told us that in times of difficulty, in times of trial, we're not going to be saved by a king. We're not going to be saved by a president. We're not going to be saved by a country. He just said, the eye of the Lord are on those who fear him, those whom he has extended his steadfast love. He is our help. He is our shield. He is our hope. So absolutely, let's be patriotic. Let's be thankful of the country that we are in. Let's celebrate that. But more importantly, let's celebrate the kingdom of God. Let's make sure our primary allegiance is the fact that we are his people by faith in him. Restoration Church, I love you. Happy 4th of July. Let's pray.